Hello, this is Dr. Mike Barnett with the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Thank you so very much for tuning in to our podcast, and I pray that today's message will be a blessing and an encouragement to you. We are engaging our people at First Baptist Church in an emphasis called Who's Your Mission? It is a challenge to personal soul winning and personal evangelism for the year 2023. We've asked our people to ask God for at least one soul to be burdened for that they might go after that soul and win them to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the theme of these current messages. And I pray that they will encourage you to be a soul winner and go after one soul that needs to be saved now and to know Jesus now. I pray these messages will help you. And again, thank you for tuning in. about David, and if you didn't just hear that part, I'm not going to repeat it, but uh, um, these are some dark chapters of the Word of God, and these are some things that um, trouble us as believers. David was a man after God's own heart. What happens in chapter 11, what we talked about last week and we'll talk about this week, does not change that whatsoever. He was a man who God's hand was upon him. And that's one thing that makes this chapter so despicable to us and breaks us. Uh, St. Augustine said that chapter 11 needs to warm our hearts that there's forgiveness, but it also needs to warn every Christian that we need to pay attention in our walk with the Lord. And so I want to read verses uh, 1 through 5 that we read last week, just in case, to, to remind us of the context. And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass... In an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived, and sent and told David, and said, I am with child. That's what we talked about last week. If you didn't hear that message, I would encourage you to go back to our YouTube station, and uh, you can access it off our website and listen to that message about how could a man, after God's own heart, fall into adultery. It's the same principle that Christian men and women today, same thing. And so we continue with this heartbreaking chapter today, 
about David's sin. Remember, I want to remind you again, I say it a third time today, this was not some pagan king who worshipped in an idolatrous temple that had temple prostitutes and ungodly, ungodly forms of worship at all. This was a man after God's own heart. This was the king who was to copy down the law that said, Thou shalt not commit adultery and thou shalt not murder. This was this man. And I want to remind you of that. And we saw his sin and uh, last week, and we just read about it, how he failed to put on the whole armor of God upon that day, and he failed morally. He yielded to the flesh. I so wish that verse 6 could be different, but it is not. And this morning we're going to see how David sought to cover up his sin. And we're going to see that, that people have not changed. Sin has not changed. There is this principle that, that well, let me just say this. I'm going to give you seven stages of covering up your sin. Whether it's the sin of adultery, whether it's the sin of, uh, of lying, what have you. Even You know, the biggest sin, the most covered up sin in the church is pride. Pride. And so, let's talk about covering up your sin. And before I read this text, I wonder if Solomon, who's about to be born, next week we're going to see Solomon born. I wonder if when Solomon was writing and compiling uh, the book of Proverbs, if he thought about his daddy when he wrote Proverbs 28 and verse 13, which says, He that covers his sins shall not prosper, but who confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. Let's look at that verse that Solomon wrote years after this event and see some things. First of all, he that covers his sin. Let's look at seven stages of covering up sin. You want to cover up your sin? I'm about to tell you how to do it. All right? About to tell you how to do it. Verses 6 through 8. When Bathsheba sent to David and said, I'm with child. David sent to Joab saying, send me Uriah. Remember they're on the battlefield. Uriah is one of the David's mighty men, the husband of Bathsheba. Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah was come unto him, David demanding of him, demanded of him how Joab did and how the people did and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to your house, wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. But Uriah slept at the door. So David immediately, when he found out that Bathsheba was pregnant as a result of this adulterous night, David began the first stage, conniving. He came up with a plan to cover up the sin of adultery. He sends for Joab, to Joab, 
to send Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, from off the battlefield, probably about 40 miles away. And uh, this man, Uriah, is a loyal soldier. He's loyal to the house of David. He's loyal to David. He's one of the mighty men, as we pointed out. And while it might have been strange to Uriah, David, you know, O king, you know, I, I wanted to read, O king, why are you pulling me off the battlefield? My men need me on the battlefield. I'm a, I'm a platoon leader. Uh, they, they need me out there. Why are you pulling me off? You, you get daily reports from the battle all the time, every day. You, you, you could have sent for Joab himself. Why are you sending for me? But Joab's so loyal, he questioned no orders. Does that sound like a good soldier? He didn't question the order. So he sends and he says, how are the war going? And, and um, while Uriah was dedicated, David was deceitful. And so he heard the report, and then his plan begins to unfold. He says, Uriah, go home, take some R&R, go wash your feet in your house, go spend the night with your wife, uh, enjoy the evening, and then you can get back to the battlefield. David, if you read it close, I, I love it how it says, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. David even sent... A romantic meal to the house with Uriah. I, I, I don't know what that would consist of. I thought maybe escargot, but a Jew wouldn't eat snails. But uh, anyway, David sent him over and said, Here's some meals and candlelight and enjoy your wife for the night. But David did not count on Uriah's character. And commitment. Uriah didn't go home. He slept in the barracks. Or maybe even in the stairwell, as some would say. But he wouldn't go home. And that brings us to the second stage. You got, you got a conniving plan. But the second stage is, is conviction. If you're a Christian and you're covering up sin... The second stage is, is you fall under some conviction. Look at verse 9. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and went down to his house. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down unto his house, David said unto Uriah, Came thou not from thy journey? Why didn't you go down to your house? And Uriah said unto David, The ark... And Israel and Judah abide in tents. And my Lord Joab, my general, and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As thou livest and as thy soul livest, I will not do this thing. When David found out that Uriah stayed that night in the barracks with the king's servants and with the guards, his plan was foiled. How convicting it must have been when he called Uriah and said, Why didn't you go home? What's wrong with you, son? Don't you have red blood flowing through your veins? And then Uriah said it. The ark of God. That which symbolizes the presence of God. 
of my God. Now remember, Uriah was a Hittite. He was a new convert to Judaism. He was one who had abandoned and repented from idolatry and turned to the one true God. And he said, the ark of God that represents my Savior is on the battlefield. My fellow soldiers and my general Joab sleeps in a field. There is no way I could have gone home and enjoyed the pleasures of my house. I wonder how sharp that dart from the Holy Spirit was that pierced David's heart when Joab said, God is on the battlefield. I want to be with him. My fellow soldiers, the men I fight with, my church family, quote unquote, is on the battlefield. I'm not going to go home. I'm not going to go. And all the while, David was destroying his home. How convicting that must have been to David. When he saw the nobility of Joab and his sin. Conniving is the first stage. The second stage is conviction. But then when you don't respond to conviction and you don't come before the Lord and say, I've sinned, Lord, I see the example of this godly man and I'm not like that. I used to be, but I'm not like that. And you continue to cover up your sin. The third stage is in verse 12. And David said to Uriah, Tarry here today also, and tomorrow I will let you depart. In other words, I'm going to squelch this nobility stuff. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the morrow, and when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. And at evening he went to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but went not down to his house. The third stage of covering up your sin is corruption. You seek to corrupt others. When you cover up your sin, you don't take the steps to rise up with godly people, but you take the steps to lower godly people down to your level. That's what David did. Read what he did. He ignored his nobility. It offended him. And he said, I've got to do some different things to get you where I want you. And he kept him overnight, and he fed him, and David got him drunk. David got him drunk. David just kept pouring the wine down him. Now, you might say, well, you know, Uriah, he, he's the one who drank it all. Well, let me tell you something, folks. If you're in the king's palace, and you've already... You've been summoned by him, and you've already got him upset because you wouldn't go home. I imagine Uriah was in a pickle. I would love to have read where Isaiah said, I've got enough king. I've got to leave tomorrow to go to the battlefield. I don't need a hangover, but that's not what he did. He, David got him drunk. David contributed to this. There's no doubt. But it shows us the fact that that's what happens when people try to cover up their sin. They... they they try to bring others down. And 
they, they, they will point out other people's sins and faults. It's easy when you are trying to hide your sin to bring other people's sin to light. Now that is good preaching, whether you like it or not, Jack, right? We, 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 we point out everything else and everybody else. Well, look at so-and-so over there. Well, we're not talking about so-and-so. We're talking about David. Now, another sermon I might preach on Uriah, but today we're preaching about David. And David was in this stage of corrupting others so that he could cover up his own sin. And he had committed adultery, he had lied, he had brought in a man from the battlefield, putting, putting the others who were in harm's way in, in a less than, than able state. He ordered Uriah to stay night, got him drunk, and uh, even when he was drunk, Uriah was more noble than David. Even when he was drunk. Look, look, I want to tell you something, folks. There is nothing and I'm including myself in this, there was nothing more despicable than a backslidden Christian who won't confess his sin. You say, well, what about the lost man out there in grave sin? He knows no better. He's a slave to his sin. We are not. Amen? A backslider is filled with his own way. And David imposed his way upon Uriah to bring him down and he got him drunk, but he could not fulfill his purpose. Even drunk, Uriah went and stayed home with the guards. So David had to continue his conniving. I'm sure he was still under conviction, and the corruption of Uriah did not work to the extent David wanted it to. And so we see the fourth stage of covering up your sin. Look at verse 14. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set you, Uriah, in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die. And it came to pass when Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew that valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab, and there fell some of the people of the servants of David, and Uriah the Hittite died also. So the fourth stage is compounding. David's sin was compounded. The interest on it began to add up, compounding. See, if you seek to cover up your sin, you will commit more sin. All sin is like a lie. You've you got to keep doing more to cover up the original. And so this compounding sin involved putting Joab, his captain, into complicity. Now, we all know Joab was already a murderer, and he, he, he wouldn't have any problem with this whatsoever. Uh, but um, he was in complicity with David now in murder. And he ordered Joab to do something that Joab, the brilliant strategist, would have never done. And nothing so foolish. This, this was not harm's way. This was the fool's way. This was murder. 
And so David was now not guilty only of adultery and pride of cover-up, but he was guilty of Uriah's murder. And notice in verse 17 just how compounded his sin became. Verse 17 says, There fell some of the people of the servants of David. So more than just Uriah fell that day. And the narrator of 2 Samuel intentionally tells us these men were also servants of David, loyal to David, loved David, dedicated to David, were willing to do anything and everything David their king said. And so it was not only Uriah who died that day, was murdered that day, but David murdered other servants, Uriah's men, perhaps, other soldiers. The compounding crime against God and Uriah is now against the whole nation. Just think the effect this had, not only on Bathsheba, not only on David himself, but the mothers and the fathers of these servants. Because not of David's incompetence, but because of his conniving cover-up of sin. Let me ask you something. Can a king's sinful, prideful, arrogant refusal to come dirty before God and confess his sin affect a whole nation? You bet it can. Just watch the news. Now, that's good preaching. Where do you think I've treaded in waters I shouldn't go or not? David's great sin compounded now. And then that leads us to the fifth stage in covering up your sin. Verse 18. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war. And charged the messenger, saying, When thou hast made an end of telling the matters of the war unto the king. Joab knows what's going on. And if so be that the king's wrath arise, and he say unto thee, Wherefore approached you so nigh unto the city when you did fight? Know ye not that they would shoot from the wall? Normally, David would have said to Joab, Joab, why did you do such a foolish thing? You know there are archers shooting from the wall. You, you should have taken steps to prevent these deaths. It was unnecessary. And so Joab knew that that's what David would have said under normal conditions. So he prepares his messenger to give an answer. In verse 21, Joab brings up the word of God to David in, if he needed it. He said, Who smote Abimelech, the son of Jerubasheth? Did not a woman cast a piece of a millstone upon him from the wall, and he died in Thebes? Why went ye nigh the wall? Then say, Thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Jo Joab thought David may even bring up Scripture and refer to an event in the book of Judges where a man got too close to the wall and a woman threw a rock down and killed him. That's from the book of Judges. 
Joab had his answer all planned out just in case David was going to try to cover up some more and, and put this on Joab. See, it, it would have been easy for David to say, Joab's to blame for this. To tell these mothers in Israel, Joab's the reason your sons were killed so foolishly. But then Joab has an answer in the last phrase in verse 21. Thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Just sum it up. And then we see the fifth stage of covering up your sin is credibility. Joab, David's captain. Now remember, we, can't, we, we, we cannot forget that Joab is not the best of men. Sometimes he does some things and we say, wow, boy, Joab really did good. But you never know his motive. He, he's a loose cannon, if you will. Now, he, he was more like a George S. Patton than he was Eisenhower. For you who might know World War II history. You know, um, a loose cannon. There was no telling what he was going to say, what he was going to do. And, and um, I will say this about Joab. He always had the kingdom in mind, but he really didn't have the king in mind. The, what's best for the king. And so here, David had sent this letter and said, Put Uriah on the front and get him killed. Um, and Joab is, is one who did it readily. He was somebody who never lost a fight. He, he never did. He was a victorious commander, a victorious captain, but he was very vicious. He himself being a murderer. Remember, he murdered Abner. And uh, just a, not a good man to have around. This is the man that David said, he's too hard for me to handle. I don't know what to do with him. Well, David knew what to do with him here. Let me utilize him for my own end. Let me put his viciousness to work. And as a result, Uriah and some servants were murdered on the battlefield. But now, when Joab says, Thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also, David knows that Joab's got him. When Joab got that note from the palace and said, put Uriah on the forefront so he will be killed, Joab said, I got him now. I got him now. He'll have no credibility to ever correct me. He'll have no credibility to ever question me. I murdered Abner and he got mad at me. I did this and did that, and he got angry with me. He doesn't know how to handle me. He thinks I'm a loose cannon, but now I got him. I know he has murdered one of his mighty men, Uriah. I got him where I want him. He has no moral authority with me whatsoever. Joab got him. And David would have to to tolerate and deal with Joab. Joab would even murder one of David's sons in years to come. And David would be able to do nothing about it because this letter 
he lost all of moral authority with Joab. Joab always had something to point the finger back at him. He lost credibility. Thy servant, Uriah, is dead. Joab will milk this for everything he can get. I've got him now. Now, folks, when you cover up your sin, the more credibility you'll lose. Now, we're going to see in a couple of chapters some reservations on David's part. And, and David's, David's going to... He's going to do some things that, that a father... We, as I read through them and studied him, writing sermons on, on some future events in David, just a couple of chapters, you know, chapter 13 and, and chapter 14 and, and all, I, I, I've confused. And, and the question is, how could a father not do something about this? How could a father let this go on? What's going on with David? And then later on when Joab murders Absalom, David's son, there is nothing done. And it's not until David is an old man about to die and yield the throne to Solomon, David looks at Solomon and says, Son, do not let Joab's gray hair go to the grave in peace. And it's Solomon who executes Joab. When if David had dealt with Joab early on, it would have saved the nation a whole lot of pain and trouble. But David, trying to cover up his sin, lost all credibility. He got forgiveness from God, as we will see. He repented. God, the consequences were tough. But one thing David never recovered was credibility in dealing with Joab and others. There are some sins that you can commit. You will be forgiven you will be graced by God to be used again. But those sins carry with them a loss of credibility with certain people. And I don't know how you get it back, but by the grace of God. Even if they forgive you, there's a lack of trust. And it may take years to rebuild, but also it has to be said you may never get it back. The thing to do is realize you cannot cover up your sin. Bring it out. Confess it to the Lord. Confess it to those whom you have sinned against. Quit conniving. Don't cover it up. And you will have credibility with them because of how you dealt with your sin. Well, we're going to see that played out. If you're reading ahead in 2 Samuel, look for the credibility issue in David. And you see, it's a terrible loss. 
And then we come to the sixth stage, verse 22. So the messenger comes from Joab, went and came and showed David all that Joab had sent for, sent him for. And the messenger said unto David, Surely the men prevailed against us and came out unto us into the field, and we were upon them even unto the entering end of the gate. And the shooters shot from off the wall upon thy servants, and some of the king's servants be dead. And I can just imagine the eye contact here. And the servant said, O David, O king, Joab wanted me to make sure that you know Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Verse 25. This is the man who wrote the 23rd Psalm. This is the man who showed grace to Mephibosheth. This is the man who spared King Saul who was trying to kill him. This is the shepherd king. This, this is the sweet singer of Israel. Then David said unto the messenger, Thus shalt thou say unto Joab, Let not this thing displease thee, for the sword devours one as well as another. Make thy battle more strong against the city, and overthrow it, and encourage him. So the sixth stage of covering up your sin is a callousness towards sin. It is as if David knew Joab had him and he had no other choice. No regard for the families of these men who died by his order, a foolish order. David said, ah, one takes another just like it does another. This callous heart was all he could do if he wanted to keep the sin covered. He had to at least act like he didn't care and probably did not care as long as nobody knew that he was an adulterer. And this leads to the next stage, but let me say this. Have you ever heard the phrase, well, it is what it is? You know, that's a terrible attitude for a Christian. We serve the God of grace who can change things. It does not have to be it is what it is. David basically said, well, it is what it is. Maybe, oh, how I wish he would have said, it is all my doing. Let me seek the Lord. Callousness. And then we come to the seventh stage and the final stage of covering up your sin. Verse 26. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband. Now, do you see that right there? Look, look. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband. Now, if I turned an essay in, or a short story into 
Cindy Lowry, the English teacher. She would write in red ink, redundant, redundant. And if I were writing 2 Samuel 13 I'd have, or 11, I'd have sent it back to her and said, Miss Cindy, I am inspired by God. You need to change the red ink. Scratch it out. This isn't somebody in high school turning in an essay. This is a Holy, inspi Holy Spirit-inspired word from God. Inspiring the writer of 2 Samuel. We know it's not Samuel because he's been dead a long time. But one of the prophets, perhaps Nathan himself, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he's redundant here to remind us it all started when a man entertained lust after a woman who wasn't his wife. That's where it started. It all started when a man did not put his armor on and go to battle. He omitted his armor and he committed lust in his heart and then lust in his body. And now he's trying to cover up. And we are told redundantly, she is Uriah's wife. Uriah is her husband. You cannot cover sin up. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. A lot of debate about this. Was she sincere? I want to tell you, I believe she was. I believe she was sincere. I believe she was brokenhearted over what had occurred and what she was involved in and the loss of this man, her husband. I have no doubt. And when the morning, M-O-U-R-N, morning was passed, David sent and fetched her to his house. And she became his wife and bare him a son. And so the seventh stage of covering up your sin is characterization. It's characterization. This was all put within the context of Law, biblical, Levitical law. We're first introduced to Bathsheba when she's taken a bath for purification. It implies she was one who practiced the law of God. And the very fact that it was adultery, they, they tried to cover it up. David knew the word of God said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But now we read this and we say, Ah, oh, David did the right thing. He married her. David did the right thing. He married her. Well, you can say that, but you're wrong. Let me share something with you. Uriah was a Hittite. All right? He was a convert from paganism and idol worship to worshiping Jehovah God, the one true God, to Judaism. He had repented of all of that. He was even serving King David who, who defeated those Canaanite peoples, including the Hittites. He was a man who was a sinner who got saved. 
and came to Christ. But he was not a Jew. And that means his family was not a Jew. Now, if he were a Jew, perhaps a brother of his would have stepped up and said, My, husband, my brother died with no children. His lineage, his light in Israel will be eradicated because he had no children. So I will exercise the law of the Leveret marriage in Leviticus and Exodus, which means that when a woman was widowed, if she had no children, no sons, her husband's brother, if he was not married himself, could marry her and produce children in the name of his brother. And that would have assured that Uriah's line would have continued. The inheritance would have always been in Uriah's family. Now, in our culture, that's just flat weird. But in that culture, it worked, and it was the law of God. It's called the kinsman redeemer. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer, and there's another message in that. And so you could just hear the concern from the battlefield all through Jerusalem. Poor Uriah. In a generation he will be forgotten. When we're dead, nobody will remember him. There'll be no lineage for him. What's going to happen to Bathsheba? Her husband is dead and she has no sons. What's going to happen? Conniving David said, I'll marry her. I'll marry her. I'll take her to be my wife. But David, you got a whole bunch of wives to begin with. You got too many wives, David. By the way, how many's too many? More than one. The great theologian right there. I'll take her to be my wife. It looks so noble. It looks so godly. But we started reading chapter 11 all the way through to verse 27. And there's not one mention of God. If you don't mention God, you can't be godly. This was not some noble motive. David wasn't stepping up to the plate and saying, I will fulfill the law of the Leveret marriage. Y'all just calm down. I'm going to do the noble thing. I know I have a lot of wives, and good night, I'll just take on another one. And she'll be taken care of. Now you say, well, preacher, I think David loved Bathsheba. I think he grew to love her. I really do. I think, I think, I think their, their relationship grew, and we're going to see that in weeks to come. But right now, he, 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 he's, not, he's not being godly. He's couching it in church words. He, he's covering up his sin by, by church words. He, he, he's looking like he's obeying God and doing something noble for the Lord in the Lord's word. But he ain't. He's covering up his sin. I'll marry her and carry on a legacy for Uriah. And as a matter of fact, I'll do it right quick. In nine months, Uriah will have somebody in his name. Huh? Boy, a characterization. We, we just make sure that our character looks like it's godly. 
when we cover up our sin. There's a good word, New Testament word for it. It's called hypocrisy. So it's done. Success. David stood before the preacher and he said, I do. And she said, I do. And when they cut the cake, he, she leaned over and he leaned over and said, success. Now nobody knows. But our verse says that Solomon would write, you shall not prosper when you cover up your sin. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. So we thought. But look at the last phrase of the whole chapter. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Wow. Well, let's look at David's thinking. Well, I married her, so when the child comes, uh, it's going to look like mine. Covered up, success. Joab knows I murdered Uriah, but he murdered Abner, and so he's not going to talk. There is that servant or those servants that did all this running around for me when I sent to find out who Bathsheba was. You remember back in verse 1 and 2? And they know, but they're my servants. If, if they got a tongue that wags, I'll just take care of them. So they're not going to talk. I know Bathsheba's not going to talk, and I'm certainly not going to talk. Um, we got it made. Well, maybe on earth he did, but in heaven, God saw it. Amen. What's the old saying that we say, God knows it all, doesn't he? And sees it all. You cannot cover up your sin. You cannot do it. God knows he that covers a sin shall not prosper. His cover-up may have worked but in his, in his house, but it didn't work in heaven. Now, there's a whole lot of sending going on in this chapter. David sends for Bathsheba. Then Bathsheba sends for David. I'm with child. David sends for Uriah. David sends a letter to Joab. He wrote a letter saying, murder Uriah. Joab sends to David. David sends for Bathsheba. The Hebrew word on that sent is fetched. There's that word again, fetched. So David fetches Bathsheba and David marries her. There's a whole lot of sending going on. And David thinks he's got it made, all his sending. But look at chapter 12 and verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan. Now I want to share something with you real quick before we go. We're almost done. I know you want to stay, but we're almost done. Get this now. Not one mention of God. 
being active, being consulted, being heard. David covering up his sin until he sends Nathan. Take your pen and draw a line between chapter 11, verse 27, and chapter 12, verse 1, and write one year. Because there's about one year that David lives this way. One year David thinks he got away with it. One year he is very callous. One year he is characterized as somebody who has done something wonderful in taking in this woman whose husband died for him on the battlefield. But the Bible says, Thou, that he who covers his sin, shall not prosper. But that very same verse says, But whoso confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. Old David, next week, Lord willing, is going to confess his sin. There's going to be consequences. All the while. You know, let me just say a couple of things. 1 John chapter 1 tells the Christian what to do with his sin. 1 John chapter 1 says, If we say we have no sin, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, when you sin, before you even engage, put it in drive and go. The Holy Spirit, if you're saved, the Holy Spirit is warning you and convicting you. The lights are flashing. And then after you sin, the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin. And if you do what David did and try to cover it up, you're saying, God, you are lying. This is not sin. I'm going to characterize it as something else. And his word is not in you. You have just taken his word and you have said, get out of my mind and my thinking. Get it out. And you might go for a time thinking you got away with it. But you won't because you're a child of God and God chastises His children. If you're not being chastised for it, I'm just going to be blunt and tell you what the King James says. I think I've been here long enough to do that without getting run off. Hebrews says if you're not under the chastisement of God, you're a bastard. A spiritual bastard. God's not your father. That's what the King James says. That's pretty strong language. But you know what? It needs to be strong. It needs to be strong. It needs to be strong for me. But if you are a child of God, you will be chastised. And for one year, David was chastised in his heart. And we're going to see some horrible things that he did in his callousness next week. 
And then Nathan comes. Nathan comes. And so you don't say, God, you're lying. I don't want your word to even speak to me. Don't, don't speak to me. But verse 9 says, But if we confess our sins, the word confess, homo legao, to say the same thing, agree with God about our sin. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just, although we have not been faithful and just. He is faithful and just and will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That blood will continue to cleanse us. He's talking to Christian people. He's talking to people like David who are after his own heart. But if you try to conceal it, you will not prosper. You will not be successful. It may be a year. It may be two. It may be five. But it's going to get you. It will. A Christian is somebody who knows they're a sinner. That's what a Christian is. And a Christian is somebody who knows how to have fellowship with God by confessing their sin. So you say, well, preacher, where is Jesus in all of this? I try to look for Jesus everywhere I go in the Bible. He's there. Well, I think of Uriah. Didn't Uriah die to cover the sins of David? Didn't a man who was innocent and noble die to cover the sins of someone who was guilty? Yes, he did. Jesus died to cover by his blood the sins of the guilty. The difference between Uriah and Jesus, though, Uriah was a victim. Jesus is not a victim. He's a sacrifice. He laid down his life because the wages of sin is always and forever death. Uriah died because of the sins of David and Bathsheba and Joab. Jesus died giving, him your, giving himself to you the wage of sin. Let me ask you, dear sir, dear ma'am, are you covering up a sin isn't it time for the year to expire? And you just say, I'm tired of this. I'm going to confess it to God. How public should your confession be? How public is your sin? You certainly need to apologize to God. And you might need to apologize to someone else or a group of someone else. And they may be in this room. It may be a phone call. But you need to confess that sin. I don't know who else will forgive you, but I know God will. Because he said in his word he would. Whoso confesses a sin and forsakes it, repents from it, will have mercy. That's for the Christian. If you're not a Christian... And you want to become a Christian and follow Christ. 
we want to make the opportunity available to you right now. And all you need to do is come forward and say, I want to be saved. I want to give my life to Christ. You can come to Cole, who will be standing right here. Or you will come to me, and I'll be standing right there. And all you got to do is just walk down the aisle, leave your pew. We're going to sing in a minute. We're going to stand and sing a song. It's called a song of invitation. And it's our invitation for you to respond. But if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you above us, it's His invitation for you to come to Christ. For Christian, you to be restored in your fellowship with the Lord. For you who aren't a Christian, to be, have a relationship with God in Christ Jesus. That's our invitation. That's what you're invited to do. So let us stand. Let's just stand. Mm -hmm.